Today, we're watching Star Trek The Next Generation. When a Federation captain goes rogue, attacking civilian targets of the Cardassian Empire, Picard must chase down the madman before the fragile peace collapses. From January 26th, 1991, it's season four, episode 12, The Wounded, or Chloe and Kim Take Manhattan. <laughs> See, it's a uh, keeping up with the Cardassians. Spinoff. It's it's that's such a, a well traveled trope. I couldn't I couldn't say keeping up with the Cardassians. So, not a single member of that family would be safe in front of my deflector dish. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm Cam. That's Dan, and this is not a Kardashian podcast. It's a Cardassian. Not a Cardassian. You're not a Cardassian. You're not a Cardassian. Ugh, Dan, you finally get to meet one of the greatest foes of the Federation. I'm so excited. Those awkward, those awkward headgear guys. Yeah. They call them uh, when people are trying to get them down. They call them teaspoon heads. Teaspoon heads. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. That's a direct, direct quote from a future show. Wow. Yeah. But I, the Cardassians are such a wonderful addition to this universe. I mean, you can already tell. The makeup's not perfect yet. They end up getting a lot paler and getting rid of those weird fucking helmet things. But, like, the seeds are there. And their ships are the same. The ship, the ship was beautiful. Right? I really did like the ship. It's fantastic. And you got to meet the Nebula-class starship, which is one of my very favorites. Yeah, it looks like, uh, you know, if you try to do, um, like, your own custom-built bike from other bike pieces. Which is exactly what happened. It's a kit. Well, there you go. It's a nice little retro retrofit. It really is an homage to the Miranda class. That's the truth, is it was, they were like, we need to think, we need to try and create a Miranda class for this era. And so (laughs) they took pieces from the old Galaxy, from the old Enterprise model and bashed them together and kind of put a little woo-woo on the top, and suddenly it looks like a Miranda class. Sounds more like an homage et toi. <laughs> I mean, I guess we could call Nebula Samantha class. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, so who's the carry class then? Uh, I feel like it's the Enterprise D. Okay. The, gal- the, the Galaxy class. Those, that's the carry class. So are you saying Samantha is a piece together carry? Is that what you're saying, Dan? I'm saying that Samantha is that's offensive. not a character I can speak to very well because I hardly watched any Sex in the City and the joke has gone on far longer than I thought it would. <laughs> Read the thing, Cameron. You really should watch it. It's so good. Okay. On start at 44429.6. While patrolling near our newest former nemesis space, the Cardassians, the Starship Enterprise is suddenly attacked by a Cardassian vessel. Captain Picard is able to convince its commander, Gull Masset, to stand down and learns that Masset's attack is in retaliation for a Federation ship attacking a Cardassian science station two days prior. And Picard's like, the fuck? He confirms it with Starfleet and is told that the Starship Phoenix, which is lovely commanded by captain benjamin maxwell was responsible 
and is ordered to locate the vessel. Picard invites Gulmaset and two of his officers to come aboard as observers to maintain the fragile peace between the Federation and Cardassia. As the Enterprise looks for signs of the Phoenix, Picard discovers that Transporter Chief Miles O'Brien was a former crew member and tactical officer under Maxwell on the Rutledge during the Cardassian War, and invites him to join a briefing with Gulmaset. There, O'Brien reveals he still harbors some resentment for the Cardassians, revealing that Maxwell's family was killed by Cardassians. Gulmaset infers that Maxwell must be out for revenge, but O'Brien denies this. The Enterprise locates the Phoenix on an intercept course for a Cardassian freighter, but they will not be able to reach it in time. Picard lets Gulmaset relay the position for the Phoenix to a closer Cardassian cruiser, but Maxwell outmaneuvers it and destroys both the warship and the freighter, killing over 650 Cardassians. Woof. If you want an example of off-screen Federation power, it's this episode. Am I right, Dan? Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, watching those dramatic little blinky lights go out, I was I was very moved. <laughs> <laughs> You're goddamn right you were. That's every war movie ever, Daniel. Shortly thereafter, the Enterprise rendezvous with the Phoenix, and Maxwell transports aboard, greeting O'Brien as an old friend. A confused old friend, but an old friend nonetheless. Alone, Maxwell asserts to Picard that the Cardassians are rearming themselves. The science station was a cover for a military base, and the freighters are carrying weapons. Picard admonishes Maxwell for his behavior, unbecoming of a Starfleet captain, and gains his assurance that he will pilot the Phoenix directly back to Federation space. However, en route, the Phoenix breaks course toward another freighter. Maxwell is poised to destroy the freighter, demanding the Federation officers be allowed to board to see proof of the Cardassian deception. The Enterprise crew notes that the freighter is equipped with a field that blocks their scans. Picard prepares to fire on the Phoenix to maintain the peace, but O'Brien requests permission to beam over, using a transporter trick to sneak past its shields and talk to Maxwell. Aboard the Phoenix, O'Brien and Maxwell reminisce about their time aboard the Rutledge and sing a song of their past. O'Brien is able to convince Maxwell to stand down. Maxwell transfers his command to his first officer, and the Phoenix starts to return to Federation space, while Maxwell returns to the Enterprise with O'Brien to be held pending return to Starfleet. As the Cardassian observers are returned to their ship, Picard cautions them that while Maxwell's actions may have been improper, his suspicions are not without merit. The so-called science station is located in a strategic military position with little scientific value, and the shields on the freighters were specifically designed to block Federation scanning. He cautions Gulmaset that the Federation will be watching the Cardassians, ver oops, Cardassians very closely. I did that one on purpose. <laughs> and so ends... The wounded. Wounded. I think it's very clear that Captain Benjamin Maxwell is to the Cardassian Empire what Kanye West is to the Kardashian Empire. <laughs> He's just a fucking liability. <laughs> well, welcome. Welcome to a huge plot point for the next several series in Star Trek. Uh, good to be here, I guess. <laughs> You're goddamn right it's good to be here. <laughs> Peak season four. This is a drastically better introduction than most long-running alien species get on this, sh <laughs> on this show. It's so much better than the introduction of the Klingons mm -hmm. in TOS, the Romulans in TOS. Although th their first episode is, is good, but it's just... 
I was going to say, the first Romulan episode is outstanding, but like all of the other enemies. It's really good, but but the but the the Romulans just stay very you know my issue with the Romulans. I do. They're, they're still they're the same as they were in the 60s. And honestly, I'd say it's even better than the introduction to the Borg because it's more while the Borg are, are really cool and all that, the Borg kind of look like garbage the first time we see them. And while these guys don't look amazing, they look better than if you had an egg beater on your hand, you know? It's true. You forgot the most important reveal of TNG, Dan. Of TNG? Yeah. Q? No. The Ferengi. Oh, well, I was going to say it's a fuckload better than the Ferengi. Uh... Sexism, power whips. Ah! <laughs> That's pretty much the Ferengi brand. Though I'd be lying if I said I I hadn't wanted to file my teeth down into razors before. So, you know, who am I to judge? I mean, who hasn't? Right? I want to be a shark. Nah, 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 and this nah. was pre-Trump administration. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Cameron, enough about terrible aliens. Let's talk about some good ones. What did you love about this episode? This episode is so incredibly important to canon for several reasons. I mean... It introduced several staples, the Cardassians, the Nebula-class starship, this fragile piece that they have. It's all so incredibly important. But also, Maxwell, talking about PTSD and just, like, real genuine issues that happen in wartime. I'm going to talk about it in the hate section a little bit, too. But, I mean, the fact that these legitimate mental concerns are represented, even in 91, is pretty fantastic. I'm not saying it's perfect, mind you, <laughs> but yeah, I definitely wouldn't say something like Mash did it better years earlier. Of course, but they yeah, did. of course they did. Mash is a masterpiece. I don't know why everyone doesn't know it. A masterpiece. <laughs> masterpiece. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite jokes from you remember those those little things you know you played mash with the little little paper thing of course one of my favorite jokes from happy endings my all-time favorite sitcom the greatest sitcom ever made uh and i will stand by that to my grave is one of the characters they're they're having a a slumber party just the gals you know they're hanging out she's like let's play mash i want to be hawkeye (laughs) (laughs) i mean who doesn't want to be hawkeye But aside from, you know, the exceptional depiction of military trauma and action and military mindset, was there anything else? And, of course, the canon that you said was second only to Pacabella's. Uh, what? <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Boo. What else? Oh, Boo. fuck you. I have, I've had. You didn't let me finish. <laughs> I've had. I've had seasons to make that joke. <laughs> you didn't let me finish. I went Boo. 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 <laughs> <laughs> all right all right that's pretty fucking good you're right it is <laughs> see when we don't record in the morning we can each have a cocktail <laughs> although i guess we could in the morning but that would just speak to larger issues anything else you loved about this i there are so much i mean even just the details the amount of work that they put into the Cardassian Empire is remarkable. The ships are fantastic. You will actually see everything is brand-centric in the Cardassian Empire, and I love it. As soon as you see it, you'll be like, oh, my God, that's Cardassian, and I can see that. And even though I've never seen it before, I fucking get it. It's so good. 
And they have a consistent aesthetic to their people. They do. Eh? And like mm. the makeup basically stays the same. It gets a little bit paler, but like as far as the ridges the ridge and the teaspoon yeah. and the veins on the neck, it just it's it's a really great design. I enjoy it very, very much. And I just oh god Dan, there's so much coming and I'm so excited for you to see it. I'm so fucking excited. Well the thing that I like about their design is any alien species that you want to stick around needs to have a humanoid enough appearance, but also a distinct enough look that they're instantly recognizable and you can do something with it. While the Ferengi are dumb and gross, they consistently cast actors who are under 5'5". Five five they do. To play Ferengi. They definitely do. <laughs> and of slight build, and they you know have a build-out that they can do, and... The refinement of Klingons. Klingons are very distinct now. And I think I, I'm interested to see how the Cardassians evolve so that they're they're still within their brand standard, quote unquote. I am so excited. Yeah, I think they're I think they're gonna do some some cool stuff. They will. And they're also I mean, the design is imposing, but they also cast actors who are just wonderful at being slightly imposing. Mm-hmm. And it's just oh, it's so good. But I would love to hear what you loved about this episode. I love that we had some fucking military shit going on. Um, <laughs> seriously, like men of war find themselves useless and listless in times of peace. Once you have been hardened by that, like that's kind. There's a reason I love these kind of stories where you have you know a veteran who has issues and can't let go and must find a new crusade and. Picard working so desperately to be ambassador and peacekeeper and still be on the side of the Federation and want to give his man the benefit of the doubt. The fact that he held off on giving the coordinates and the ability to track the Phoenix through subspace for so long, he he did an excellent job with the balancing act. It was a great showing for Picard. It was. And I also enjoyed seeing Miles O'Brien wrestle with what is clearly some you know, deep-seated racism left over from the conflict that he tried to pass off as like, no, I hate myself. That's that's what it is. I was like, okay, Miles, okay. <laughs> I enjoyed Worf in this episode quite a bit. Absolutely. You know, him thinking that the Cardassians have no honor, which I think Chloe is like, not not honorable at all, Don't but you like fucking dare. Don't you bring them up on this show. Courtney really has honor. Like Courtney super has honor. I'm like a big fan. It's because that's your wife's name. I think Courtney's like the most underrated one. Kim has no honor. Kim Kardashian has no honor. <laughs> I hope you're proud of yourself. I am. That's a good t-shirt. Kim Kardashian has no honor. <laughs> I enjoyed the design of their ships, the design of their uniforms as well. I think it's it's rudimentary, but it's getting there. Very very imposing, very warlike, and and a, a good uniform that like makes sense. It's not a space blanket quilt, <laughs> so that made me happy. Uh, yeah, Picard's amazing. Yes, his scene with Maxwell was spectacular. Truly, top notch. Maxwell's scene with O'Brien was very good, and Picard's last scene with um, what was his name? The main Cardassian. Gull missed that. Right. Uh, and his final scene with Gull! <laughs> Massette 
was really good. Are you going to do that every time? Because Gull is a title. Oh, it is? Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> kind of fucked myself on that one. Sure did. <laughs> I hope you're ready, listener. <laughs> The the scene work was spectacular. Really great scene work there. And exploring just a tiny glimpse into Keiko and Miles' relationship yeah. was, was fun. And it was brief enough that it didn't annoy me. Um, but I also have some of that in the bad section. I was going to say, there were a couple of things that annoyed me. But it was really nice to see their home life. Yeah. And, like, you know, sharing cultures. And look at Keiko being vegan. Killing it. I know, right? <laughs> I was like, slay, girl, slay. <laughs> Actually, don't, because don't kill animals. Um, no. Kill billionaires. No, it was. It, this was one of my favorite episodes uh, of TNG so far. Yeah. I really, I found myself, st- I, I quit taking notes and just watched the scenes. I'm so proud. Because it was, it was compelling. Like, Picard is excellent. Oh, just, just excellent. Exceptional. This is like peak Picard, because he's, doing such a wonderful balancing act and he's still being a military commander and a diplomat at the same time and he gets to end which okay i'll get to that with the stuff i didn't love but he gets to end with still being strong and authoritative though he bent over backwards for the sake of peace which kind of speaks to like the you know speak softly but carry a big stick mentality that america used to have yes or Maybe never did, but it's a it's a fun talking point. It is a fun talking point. Yeah. Ah, the Roosevelts. <laughs> Those fucking Roosevelts. <laughs> and that's how I save Roosevelts. <laughs> oh. Any chance I can sing to you from Assassins, I will. Yeah, it's my favorite show. I know. Sing to me from Assassins always. I am nothing. You are wind, water, and sky. Oh my God, Cameron. <laughs> Daniel, tell me, Daniel, how I can earn your love. <laughs> Wear short shorts. Um, Done. <laughs> but it wasn't all mind-blowing, canagogical implications, was it, Cameron? I mean, it was close, but no. No, it was not. <laughs> so what really, uh, you know. <laughs> Teed my spoon, as it were. Ah, I was going to say Ferengi'd or something, but that works much better. Let's go with that. <laughs> well, to start with, I loved the glimpse into Miles and Keiko's personal life, but like, it's written in a way where it's like, have these two never spoken before? Or have we just never seen them talk before? And they're like, oh yeah, there should be a relationship here. What the fuck is that like? Uh, uh, but like, ugh, it's written in a way that felt like a Victorian promised marriage. And it just, it, or like a weird first date. Yeah, it made me uncomfortable. And like, the fact that they hadn't shared food before, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, this is amazing. You know, the fact that he didn't let me replicate you something. Yeah. I'm like, it's not hard. How have you not like just gone through your favorite dishes with each other? I mean, good lord, if I had a replicator, I would eat my way through the entirety of New York City right now. Like, Cameron, if I had a replicator, I would be bedridden <laughs> because I would be morbidly obese to the point of immobility. <laughs> yeah yeah me too but it'd be so good Mm -hmm. but yeah it just it struck me as weird i loved the impulse but the execution was poor it made me almost uncomfortable yeah good instinct awkward follow-through yes 
And my biggest pet peeve is Cardassian facial hair because that goes away. And what a weird fucking thing that was. It was like just just right here along your jaw. It was like if you did a fuck, what are they called? The biker mustaches, the handlebar. handlebar. It's like if you did the handlebar but then shaved the mustache. <laughs> well, you know what it is, Cameron. What? You know what they're doing. Landing strips. It's a Ra's al Ghul. Anyway. It's just the two tufts. That's what Ra's al Ghul has in, in Batman. Yeah, you're just right. Just the two tufts. You were right. Yeah. It's like a close-cut Ra's al Ghul. It's like a raised al Ghul. Gulmaset is the only one to have that, so that's okay. Um, it was just a birth defect. <laughs> also, their their helmets are interesting but awful. Oof, so bad. <laughs> and those also go away, so, you know, it's mm-hmm. fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> what did you hate, Daniel? I hated the potato casserole because that did not look like a potato casserole it looked like bad mashed potatoes that he then just slopped onto her plate i was like that's not that's not a casserole that's mashed potatoes with shit in it it's not in a crock it hasn't been cooked i'm like so that's just lazy number one are you speaking of scalloped potatoes no but like potato casserole a casserole should have I mean, I'm thinking of au gratin or scalloped, yes. But, like, potato casserole, and that was just a bowl of mashed potatoes with some stuff in it. That's not a casserole. Hey, listeners, just so you know, every time Dan has said casserole, he's made quotey fingers, like, literally every time, and it's just really entertaining. I wanted to let you know. (laughs) Well, just because casseroles are disgusting most of the time. Um, The Midwest is lousy with them. and Not all of them are bad. It's fine. I mean, like, tuna casserole can burn in hell. But they're all bad for you. Yes, that's true. <laughs> so that that whole thing was weird. And how he was, like, proud that his, his mom would, like, cook with real meat and didn't replicate. And she was like, that's fucked up and interesting. I was like, yeah, I would think 400 years from now, people would be like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. You kill animals to eat? What is wrong with you? <laughs> we haven't done that in 200 years. Yeah, right? It's like, what are you, some sort of Habsburg or some sort of Illuminati person? What are you doing, rituals? Luddite. (laughs) Anyways, uh, so that was strange and bizarre. And I didn't like how Miles didn't really resolve his feelings. He was like, I'm just mad because I had to kill someone. I'm like, I don't. I don't buy that yeah, for a second. I don't buy it either. Especially because they telegraphed earlier when they left the transporter room, Deanna stops and turns around and looks at Miles and gives a very intentional cut to camera like she sensed something in him. Mm-hmm. But then she never brings it up and she never talks to him. And uh, there was a great opportunity for someone to go, hey, I can tell that you're fucking racist. Let's talk about it. I understand you went to war against this group of people. Understandable that there's hard feelings. Let's work through it. I'm a lieutenant commander. You're you're a lieutenant. Come to my fucking office at 9 a.m. tomorrow. And take off your pants. Wait, that's a different thing. Um, but, yeah, that that was such a great telegraph and a good setup. I was like, yay, Deanna's going to be useful. And then I was like, no, she's not. Of course not. Why would they why would they give her something to because do? Because this episode was written by man. <laughs> so that bothered me. Additionally, I thought they set this up as a brilliant critique of American foreign policy. They set it up to be like 
Jangoism, like saber rattling, we're going to find the enemy. Everybody's a lying, thieving bastard, and I'll show you they're all bad, and no one's to be trusted, and we have to strike preemptively, and you don't understand, you're a civilian. Like all this saber rattling warhawk rhetoric that is fucking bullshit, they showed to be fucking bullshit. They did. And they, Picard was on the right side until the very fucking end of the episode where he was like, Actually, I know that he was right, but because we have a treaty, I wasn't going to do anything about it. So you better shape up. I was like, don't justify that dude's actions. That kind of bullshit that underlies so much of our foreign policy is why we are in unending war in the Middle East when we're not too busy secret policing our own fucking citizens. Like that drove me up a wall i was like this was oh, this was almost a five camera <gasps> in my book it was almost a five until that final scene where i'm like you just undid all the hard work you did you were just like well he took it too far and he acted on it but i can tell and i know he was right and you guys are garbage and you are bad guys which fine set them up to be villains this is their introduction. Great. Whatever. I'm fine with that. But they worked so hard to dismantle his argument of preemptive strike and attacking civilians only to cut it out from under its own legs at the very end. I mean, you are not wrong. It is a little disheartening. And I mean, I think part of the impulse was to show what an incredible leader and tactician Picard is. But... I agree with you. In the end, it actually undercut. It's like they they wanted to have their cake and eat it too. They want Miles to be prejudiced, but not so prejudiced we don't like him. So we have to make it about what he felt because he had to kill. And they want Picard to be really good at his job, but they also want to set up these guys as an enemy. So they have to undercut what he's done the whole time and validate the madman. I was going to say, if we're being honest, we can't let an old white veteran be crazy. Of course, because, you know, that wouldn't be supporting the troops. (laughs) (sighs) I mean, I think when it comes down to it, I think that's why it happened. Yeah. And like, I loved Miles telling his war story at 10 forward. I really did. But I really wanted him to be like, every time I see you, I just want to shoot you. You know, like, give me some real fucking consequence to those feelings. Because guess what? especially American soldiers who came back from combat abroad say racist fucking shit about the people they fought against. They do. So that's okay. That's a real thing that has to be worked through. Let's talk about it, Star Trek. Like, don't don't handle it with kid gloves. Like, just let him have that character flaw. It's okay to have flaws in your characters. I think the only ones that they're willing to... Let have flaws are Worf and Data. That's it. Everyone else is like so even keel and like okay and a good person. And Deanna and Beverly because they're women. Well, of course, but they can't help that. I mean, two X chromosomes? How gauche. (laughs) Oh, God, Daniel. (laughs) My own joke almost sent me into a spiral. That's where we are, everyone. That's where we are. Uh, everything's fine. You know what didn't send me into a spiral camera? The quotes. The quotes. 
The only people left alive were the ones in the outlying districts of the settlement. I was sent there with a squad to reinforce them. Cardassians were advancing on us, moving through the streets, destroying, killing. I was with a group of women and children when two Cardassian soldiers burst in. I stunned one of them. The other one jumped me. We struggled. One woman threw me a phaser, and I fired. The phaser was set at maximum. The man just... just incinerated. There before my eyes. I'd never killed anything before. When I was a kid, I'd worry about swatting a mosquito. It's not you I hate, Cardassian. I hate what I became because of you, which is code for I hate you. <laughs> also, I doubt he wouldn't swat mosquitoes if he was earlier bragging about how his mom used to kill shit. <laughs> Wonderful woman. Killed many chickens. <laughs> Don't look at this, Miles. I'm going to go take care of this here cock and balls. Don't worry about it. You'll stay right here. We're going to have a delicious dinner. You just keep being your Buddhist self. It'll be great, yeah. <laughs> My lovely little pacifist. <laughs> I am so proud of you. <laughs> Obviously not from Northern Ireland. No, no. <laughs> the loyalty that you would so quickly dismiss does not come easily to my people, Golmaset. You have much to learn about us. Benjamin Maxwell earned the loyalty of those who served with him. You know, in war, he was twice honored with the Federation's highest citation for courage and valor. And if he could not find a role for himself in peace, we can pity him. But we shall not dismiss him. Federation Medal of Freedom! <laughs> Federation! Fuck yeah! <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Amazing. The Cardassians have no honor. I do not trust them. There are allies now, Mr. Worf. We have to trust them. Trust is earned, not given away. Yes. Yes, Worf. Yes. <laughs> Maxwell was right. Those ships were not carrying scientific equipment. Were they? A research station within arm's reach of three Federation sectors. Cargo ships running with high-energy subspace field that jam sensors. If you believe the transport ship was carrying weapons, Captain, why didn't you board it as Maxwell requested? I was here to protect the peace, a peace that I firmly believe is in the interest of both our peoples. If I had attempted to board that ship... I'm quite certain that you and I would not be having this pleasant conversation, and that ships on both sides would now be arming for war. Captain, I assure you. Take this message to your leaders, Golmaset. We'll be watching. I did love the... <laughs> the... Uh-oh. Look, that Golmaset gave his crew members when Maxwell was like, They're here! Look at the thingy! <laughs> Just go look at it, Captain! It's gotta be there! It's huge. <laughs> That's how I'm going to do Maxwell, by the way. <laughs> the minstrel boy to the war is gone. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Terrible. <laughs> oh, she took his last name. Gay. She did. Yeah, she's Keiko O'Brien from now on. I wish they would have hyphenated. <laughs> Keiko O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> Keiko O'Brien. <laughs> 
Sounds like a dessert. Cake O'Brien. So are you doing Cake O'Brien if I'm doing... I will be Cake-O. Okay. What is it? Kelp buds. Plankton, loaf, and sea berries. Sweetheart. I'm not a fish. And then she quotes their favorite movie and says, if you're a bird, I'm a bird. So tonight we're fish. Fucking eat it. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Did you actually listen enough to know the melody of the song? No, I just know the minstrel boy. I didn't. Okay. Oh, it's a real song? It is a real song. Oh, then take it away. It's it's not worth it. <laughs> I promise. It's a, it's a terrible song. Fair enough. They sing The Minstrel Boy. The only reason <laughs> I know it is because um, my best friend's little brother used to sing it at recitals, but his enunciation wasn't good, so instead of The Minstrel Boy, it sounded like he was singing The Menstrual Boy. Oh, boy. And who hasn't he been there? He would go to war to try and prove himself. <laughs> <laughs> the Menstrual Boy. His voice hadn't changed yet. It was cute and sad. Sweet right, and this sad. This is uh, Glendaro. 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 Glendaro Glen Ross. <laughs> Synth the Hall is for closers. Oh, my God. We should do all of the classic plays <laughs> of David Mamet, but have them be Star Trek aliens. <laughs> uh, Glendaro Glen Ross. Speed the hyperdrive. Yeah. Anyways, so Glendaro Glen Ross. We'll come back to it. Uh, we're going to your 10 forward. Will you join us? If my commander tells me to discuss the transporter with you, I will. If Captain Picard orders me to tell you everything I know about Ben Maxwell, I will. But whom I choose to spend my own free time with, that's my business. Which I would just like to say, obvious racist moment, because Glendaro was being very kind there's nothing mm-hmm. more inviting than saying hey you want to come to the bar with us yeah also you immediately distrust uh commander maxwell because he's played by bob gunton <laughs> aka the fucking warden from the shawshank redemption right yeah right <laughs> he was also a fucking weasel on 24 he was yeah apparently that's what he's been typecast as yeah for sure which, you know, good for him. He's made a hell of a career out of it. I wouldn't mind if he did Ben Maxwell like Richard Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell What the hell has happened to this war? Sir, there is no war. The war is over. You're wrong. The Cardassians live to make war. <laughs> Poetic, right? That's what everybody thinks about the enemy. That's probably what they think about us. We're not the same at all. We do not start wars. We do not su- make surprise attacks on manned outposts. We do not butcher women and children in their homes. Children who never had the chance to grow up. <laughs> I'm straight up ripping that off from Futurama, oh, of course. by the way. Of course. But also, I kind of more interpreted him as being like uh, George S. Scott as Patton, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean a little. These sons of bitches. <laughs> You're a fool, Picard. <laughs> History will look at you and say, this man was a fool. <laughs> I'll accept the judgment of history. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good, too. O'Brien <laughs> has the ability to size up a situation instantly and come up with options to fit all contingencies. Remarkable. Oh. 
Well, if that's true, I learned it from you, sir. Honk. <laughs> but you got that silver tongue by kissing the stone, right? That was that was me coming up and then going back down on Ben Maxwell's cock, in case you were wondering. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, that was at the end of the rainbow. <laughs> oh, feels like old times. <laughs> I've never killed anything, but boy, I've sucked some things off. Why have you fired on us? Curious question, Captain. In war, one attacks one's enemies. If there is to be lasting peace, Galmaset, neither you nor I must allow one man to undermine our efforts. There are those who crave war, who need it. I am not one of them, Captain. And I'm beginning to see that neither are you. We have had our full measure. The lasting peace begins here with the two of us. You want to give me that last Miles O'Brien quote? I love that last one. I'd just like to say, sir, he was a good man. What he did was terribly wrong. I know that now. But I'm still proud to have served with him. When one has been angry... For a very long time, one gets used to it, and it becomes comfortable, like old leather, and finally becomes so familiar that one cannot ever remember feeling any other way. Insert depression instead of anger, or anxiety, or what have you. Any other kind of chronic debilitating emotional stance and we're there mm -hmm. yes but it's fine mental health is for sissies well Cameron how many unfortunate nose guard helmets would you give this episode <laughs> this is a 4.75 for me Dan I, I adore this episode it's definitely not perfect and its execution is not perfect, but there are so many things that it touched on, and it's so incredibly important. Yeah, it's a four five for sure, four point five. Big ass. It would have been, it would have been almost fucking perfect, but they just undermined their whole thesis at the end. We're like, actually, they were baddies. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> Devious. Ugh. But. We have loved it, hated it, quoted it, and rated it. That just leaves one last thing for us to do. That's for me to wish you all to not just have a great week, but to make it so. And for Dan to say, Keep on trekking. Maxwell was right. Those ships were not carrying scientific equipment worth equipment. <laughs> Maxwell was right. Those ships were not carrying scientific equipment. Equipment. Fucking hell, <laughs> Wesley! <laughs> Third time's the charm. <clears throat> Maxwell was right. Those ships were not carrying scientific equipment. Were they? Why do I have so, having so much trouble saying equipment? Are you drunk? Maybe you should drink I more. I guess. Are you ready for your future in Star Trek, Dan? Yeah. 
You own a tiny little outhouse on Earth that you call your own. You were married to Data. <laughs> Wonderful. You are a security officer, and you drive. You you own that shitty shuttle that broke down on Picard and Wesley. I think you. Yay! I think you bought it because you wanted it, and uh, you were a botanist in your spare time. <laughs> Nice, which means I'm growing hella weed, getting super high with Data, my husband. <laughs> Who is fully functional. Fully functional. <laughs> that was fun for me. Thanks for that. Well, there's your end credit bit. Yes, okay. And stop. <laughs> I was just going to say that... Uh... Don't. Just don't. I can't. Happy birthday. <laughs> Hey, Dan. It's Wesley. Things are going great here at the Academy, and I just... I heard it was your birthday. And so I gathered a couple of your friends around, just like I did with Worf, to make sure that it's a great one. So, here's some messages from from them right now. Hello, Daniel. It is Clark. Franklin D. Roosevelt once said, There are many ways of going forward, but only one way of standing still. Now, we both know that man never told a lie, so I'd like to talk about how you never stand still. Yes, you, Dan. Do you not take naps all the time? Why? You're always helping people. You're always doing stuff. You're always, like, dreaming of things and working towards them and, and then helping other people work towards stuff. Why do you constantly help those around you and inspire your good friends? I don't know. Nobody knows. I don't know why you do it. It's way easier to just nap, dude. Let me tell you. It's way easier to just uh, sell out and collect the paycheck and slowly die over the course of 40 years. But you just won't You just won't do that. It's exhausting. Anyway, thanks for never standing still. Uh, thanks for being brave. Thanks for being respectful and uh, wonderful and fair and uh, always assuming the best and giving your best and never giving up because someone's got to make you know a few million dollars and pull the rest of us up with them because uh yeah trickle down theory works anyway love you buddy bye wasn't that something to behold and now here's another so we'd very much like to wish our friend dan a happy birthday from us maya skylar and i as empaths really Feel Dan's happiness. Because we, as empaths, truly understand what Dan is thinking. We feel his thoughts as empaths. Like, for sure. Right, Adair? Yeah. I mean, I'm really glad that it's Dan's birthday and that he truly has us to guide him to understand how good his life is because he has such kind and considerate friends that really have his best interest at heart. Dan's birthday. I know because really, that's yeah. what that's what's important is he's our friend and it's his birthday and we need to like gather and like feel our feelings because if we don't it's going to be harmful to us. All I know is that I feel a lot of feelings and they're really overwhelming and it's like when other people feel feelings, then I react to those feelings. And as an empath, that's really hard. 
I think what we really need to do to celebrate Dan is to go to a spa just to like relax. Because I think that's what Dan wants for, for us because we are such considerate friends. So like as empaths, I say like we don't do anything for Dan because like Dan loves us. And so we so should true. love us. We should love us. Um, and so like, I would just also like to say that um, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I'm like an expert, you could say. And I think that Deanna Troy um, would really love how we're talking about being empaths because like she's an empath just like us. It's yeah, really so neat. so really we are the most Star Trek friends he has. Definitely. It's like that is like spot on. Yeah, it's it's so true. Well, I guess all we have to say now is Happy birthday, Dan. Happy birthday. From us. Your empathic friends. Empathetic. <laughs> your empathetic friends who really couldn't love you more and you will never find people who feel feelings for you the way we do thank you for understanding us dan i'm sending you your birthday message through my mind transmission received maya adair skyler and clark and thank you i guess all the other members of secret weapon productions just don't give a shit well this is wesley crusher signing off and wishing our dear friend Dan the happiest of birthdays. A Secret Weapon Production.